Okay, let's take our Bible and I'll see where we're going. I would like first to we have been looking at this uh, principle of brokenness and so uh, remember uh, we have we talked I think we've had two or three messages on Jacob and how he was broken. Hosea chapter 12 verse 4 says, Jacob prevailed with prayer and crying. He was broken before. Uh, I took I took some of this stuff and I preached ten, about 10 chapters of Genesis on Jacob up at that meeting. And I love that kind of preaching where you just take it step by step by step and not just pull it out. But anyway, we took him from being broken to being a success with the Lord. Amen. And that's what that's really the principle of brokenness. He he had, he was a vessel that had to be broken before God could make of him what he wanted him to be. And uh so I want to go a little further with it. We last time we were here, we talked about First uh, Corinthians. I'm going to read that verse. First Corinthians, uh, chapter number eleven, verse number uh, twenty-four says this. And this is in the middle of the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, "When he had given thanks, let me just start in twenty-three. For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And so we spent a night uh, on the breaking of our Savior, the broken Savior, and how that He He could only become our Savior through the breaking, God's breaking. You Sometimes you read Isaiah 53, 10 and 11, and that'll help you to understand that. And then, uh, and then last, and then after that, we talked about this, that every sinner has to be broken. There's a thing going across the country today in America that says Jesus is a good old boy and if you'll invite him into your heart, he'll be your friend and you can be saved. That's not Bible. That is far from Bible. Jesus is not a good old boy. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He is absolutely holy. As a part of the Godhead, He hates sin. He is angry with sin every day. That's what the Bible says. When you say that, it also must say that He's angry with sinners every day. Right? We're full of sin. 
But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And He uh, He brings us to a place then. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. We've read this verse a couple of times. To get the context of it, Matthew deals with the kingdom of heaven. And there's much, he says much about the kingdom of heaven. In chapter 13, he gives you uh, seven different uh, parables concerning the kingdom of heaven. And and he never calls, he never puts Jesus in the place of of us. Uh, he is not the servant teacher. Mark is the servant teacher, but he puts Jesus in the place of the as the king of the kingdom of heaven. That's where Matthew puts him, that's right. and that's what he portrays him as. So in, in chapter number in chapter number uh, twenty one verse forty two he's talking about the kingdom of heaven and Jesus saith unto them Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner this is the capital L Lord's doing and is and it is marvelous in our eye. Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken. Uh, I'm on the wrong verse. Matthew twenty-one forty. Yeah, no, I'm right. The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. He's talking to the Jews there. And what he is warning the Jews of is if you will not recognize the king, bag and baggage goes to the Gentiles. Over there in Romans he says he's going to raise a people that are no people to become his people. That's you and me. Saved, born again, children of... But we're not Jews. And who's, he says, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. It's a warning to the Jews there. And whosoever shall fall on this stone, this stone that has become the head of the corner of the kingdom of heaven, this stone that was rejected by the builders, he came into his own, his own received him not, he came into the world, the world knew him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. This stone that is rejected, hey, even today, while they're while we're over here, you know, behind closed doors, up and down that road out there go people that could care less. They have no concern about the kingdom of heaven or the king of heaven. Their interest is in themselves, their entertainment, their 
their accumulations, their doings, their their pleasures. A little more drink, a little more dope, a little more something, and it'll I'll be okay. That was me. That's my. That's my. Don't worry about it. And y'all don't have to worry about it hitting him man. But here's what he says: Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. When you come to Christ, expect it. You're gonna to have to give Him allegiance in your life. Until you're a wholehearted Christian, you're not a Christian. Until it's a complete sellout, you're, I, I'm not saying you could not be saved, but there has to be a rejection of sin if you accept the Savior. That's called repentance. And Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. He died for us while we were yet sinners, but we must leave our sins if we have the Savior. Y'all got it? Once we get there, there's a breaking process. We call it Christian growth. Sometimes you'll read Romans chapter 7. Paul wrote Romans 7 after he had, he had been an evangelist, a missionary, a preacher for 30-something years. He, was in, he, was in the, he wasn't a junior preacher coming trying to get there. He was, a, an, he was already established as the greatest soul winner, the greatest church planner, the greatest Bible writer that, that, that has been here since Jesus. And he said, O wretched man that I am, who is going to free me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And that's the only way you'll get there, my friend. If you attain that place that God wants you to be in His kingdom, you'll have to be broken of yourself. I I know that's not popular, but that's just what Scriptures say. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. That sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? But on whomsoever it shall fall, on whomsoever rejects the stone and the stone falls on him, it it will grind him to powder. And that's, uh, and that's the picture of the kingdom of heaven. If you read those parables in 13, there's wheat sown and what do you call them? The tares. They look just alike. Nobody can judge them. We'll have to let them grow together till, till the angels of heaven come and sort them out and the tares will be cast into the fire but the Grain will be taken in uh, to the house. There's a dragnet, and there's good fish and bad fish, and that has to be sorted out. Some reject and some accept. Some church members are church members only and not saved. Somebody who who will not bow to the stone. That's the head of the corner. Will be ground under by the stone. That's just Bible. That's Bible teaching. There is a hell. There is a place where unbelievers go 
without hope of ever return. We were talking to somebody yesterday about purgatory. There's no purgatory. The Pope invented purgatory to fill his pocketbooks. That's all purgatory's about. Somebody told me yesterday about a Mexican lady, little grandma lady, who's saying, I've poured all my money out for Junior to get him out of purgatory and it's not enough. We need more money. There's never enough. There's no purgatory. And, and the moment you hear, the, hear, hear this old saint praying a while ago, I'm ready to go home. Whenever the Bible says my times are in his, in his hands. I don't set my time and you don't set your time. But the day he says come home, it's over. And when that happens, your chance of being saved is over. You're, the, you have rejected the Savior and the stone crowns you to powder. You're no more. You'll never be a, You'll never be there again. You go into darkness. You go into the lake of fire. You, you, you'll never be an entity again. It won't be you and your friends partying. It, it, you'll be in the great darkness of nothing. And you are nothing. And you'll never know God. Hey, without God there's no life. So, anyway. I didn't intend to get preaching on it, but that's that's what this verse says. A breaking. A, so the there had to be a breaking of the Savior. There had to be a breaking of the sinner. We could preach all night on that. But I want to come back to us who are here. And I sense you're here on a Wednesday night. Tells me something about the desire of your heart. Either somebody put you on a guilt trip and you're here to satisfy that, or there's something down in in my heart there rings a melody of heaven's harmony. I may not be able to get the harmony out here, but down in my heart, me and the Lord can sing that song. Right? So, I want to talk about the breaking that brings restoration to a broken saint. Tonight, that's all I want to talk about. I've got about three scriptures. Well, I got a little more to talk about than that, but I got three scriptures I want to look at. First of all, Psalm 34, verse 18. We'll see this two places. He says, in, he says in Psalm uh, 34, 18. This is. You ought to mark this verse because this is a precept of this principle of brokenness. He says in 18, why don't we start with 16? The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. That's what I just told you. I tell these preachers, boys, it's three parts, three ways, three parts of a sermon. You tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them what you told them. Or tell them. And then tell them what you told them. That's, that's the way sermons go, right? 
Isn't it, Brother Bruce? So here, here's what I've already told you. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off remembrance of them from the earth. That's a precept. It's a pretty, pretty solemn precept. Verse 17, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and deliver them out of all their troubles. Our troubles are un, our troubles are unfathomable by us. We get out of one fix, we're going into the next fix. I mean, there's there's trouble on every hand, and you and I can't fix it, but we can call on Him, and as the righteous, we can expect that He will bail us out of our trouble, and be there with us in the trouble. That's the wonderful thing about being saved. Verse 18. Here's what I wanted to deal with. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. You can tell that bunch of good old boys that until there's a broken heart and a contrite spirit, God has nothing to do with you. You can be religious as you want to be. You can go through the motions. But until there's a broken heart and a contrite spirit, God is not near you. That's what that verse says. I want to go one more place. Here's, the, in my mind, one of the great chapters of the Bibles. Psalm 51. It's a confession and repentance of David for the sin with Bathsheba. And there's several parts to the psalm. I'm going to go down to the back end of it. Verse 17. He says, he said over, in, here's the difference in 34, 18 and 51, 17. This is the key verse to the whole Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is one of the stepping stones of the Bible. You need to get it down. You need to understand that what Psalm 51 market and study it and look at it. I've spent, I, I've spent several weeks looking at this Psalm as I remember it. Here's the, here's the key verse. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. All right, let's hold right there. So what is God expecting out of Wayne Hudson? I mean, I'm saved now. How do I get God to be near to me? How do I get God to work and move in my life? How, how can I expect God to be close in trouble? I give him my sacrifice. My sacrifice is the Lord Jesus Christ. My sacrifice was made on the cross of Calvary. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit. I cannot have that sacrifice. Understand this. I cannot go to Calvary and expect God to, to look to me through the blood of Christ until I have rejected myself and humbled myself before Him 
and let Him be Lord of my life. Y'all with me? So my sacrifice has to be Calvary. That's the only acceptable sacrifice that was ever made in, on the earth. All those bulls and goats, Hebrews says, didn't amount to anything. It couldn't accomplish anything. They were only types and shadows of a coming sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And, and so the hundreds of thousands of sacrifices of Old Testament priests only pointed to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. You and I look back to Calvary. They were looking forward to Calvary. So, how's the Old Testament saints saved? Same way we are. They were looking forward by faith. We look backward by faith to Calvary. But he says... In order to get there, the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit. I'm going to cover this in a week or two. But salvation happened in a moment to a 12-year-old boy that didn't have enough sense about the Bible. I couldn't told you two verses. But I had a broken spirit about my sin. I didn't know what to do about my sin. I tried to fix it myself and I couldn't fix it. I tried to make deals with God and He he wouldn't deal. But when I got broken, that night I got saved, I, I really believed this and I still can't discount it. I thought if I didn't get saved that night, I'd never be saved. I thought, hey, I was 12 years old, and you say, what kind of sin can a 12-year-old get into? Plenty. I understood that I was an absolute sinner and nothing I could do would fix my problem. I was already a church member, and that didn't help me. I'd already been baptized, and I wasn't saved. I knew knew the, the, the night they baptized me that that didn't fix it. And I've been battling for four or five years with God about my letting that religion stand for my salvation. He wouldn't take a deal. He just continued. That night, I thought, if I don't get saved tonight, I'll never get saved. I don't know if he'd have given me another opportunity or not, but, but I got saved that night. When I got broken in my spirit. I couldn't quit crying. I couldn't eat. My mother thought I was sick because I wasn't eating. I couldn't I couldn't sleep good. There was I, I was scared to go to sleep, afraid I wouldn't wake up. I knew God was dealing with me. But I gave him myself that night. My broken self. And he became my sacrifice that night, the eternal sacrifice. He bought my soul with his blood, and now I rest in him. That's called eternal security. A, bro- a broken spirit, a broken, now look at this. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. 
There was a broken spirit in a, in a lost sinner. He replaced it with a, with a live, loving, joyful spirit. So what's this broken heart all about? A broken and contrite heart. Well, see, that, that spirit was that spirit was saved that night. How many times have you had to go back since that night and be broken hearted over things you've said and done and what you didn't do and what you didn't accomplish? How many times have you had to go back? That's that broken heart and contrite heart. Ground down to powder. Nothing matters except Him. If He's not right in your heart, you're not right with anybody else. Right? The broken spirit, He replaced with His spirit and made me whole. He took that dead spirit and put, gave me a live spirit. That took about that long. But you know, I'm 80, I'm 80 something. (laughs) And I've been saved 70 years. I've been saved longer than most of you living. And I remember old brother Harper, an old bald-headed preacher, sat on the front seat at, at Avenue Baptist Church in Hereford, Texas. And I thought if I ever get as old as Brother Harper, all these problems with sin are not good. I'll get past all of it. It'll just be joy and I can really love the... uh, You know what? I'm that old and I didn't get past it and I'm still fighting that battle and I have to get a broken heart to get right with God often. You know, there's something... Here's what... I'm going to say something. Some of y'all are not going to like. There is something wrong with Christians that come to church daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, and never have to pray. Never have to get humble before God. Never have to shed a tear. There's something wrong. Because if we want God, we want Him near, don't we? Amen. And He said, I'm only going to be near when there's a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That is when I'll be close to you. Think about it, Christian. If you've lived as long as I have, you can go back to some times. The greatest work of God in my life was in those dark days of the storms and the battles. When I got humble enough to get on my face before Him and God showed up with power to spare. Isn't that the truth? Yes. I've got a definition for you over in uh, Isaiah 50, uh, 66. 
Isaiah 66, I think it's verse 2. <clears throat> the definition says, a broken heart, you know, you teenagers, you young people know, you've seen the broken heart. It's where, where that little chain that you wear around your neck and you got a half a heart with a jagged edge on one side, right? And some old boy or some old girl's got the other half. And we call that a broken heart. But a contrite heart is ground to powder. There's nothing. It means, it means there's absolutely nothing left of my heart. He has to supply all my heart. My heart becomes him. Yeah, it completely empties you of yourself. It's all gone. And then you're a vessel that He can fill and, and use with His glory. And, and that's what He says here. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. Sixty-six, two of Isaiah, and in fifty-seven, verse fifteen, he said this. There's some good preaching right here, but I'm not. Try I'm trying to get past it. I got some more preaching I want to do. Fifty-seven, fifteen says, "For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy." That only describes one person in all eternity. It's Jesus or it's nobody. I dwell in a high and holy place with, here's what he says, I dwell in a high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite one. What he says was, if we ever get to that place of, of uh, honor that he wants us to be, he will have filled us with himself in our spirit and in our heart. Our very being will be the vessel that he has filled then. And, and that takes the grinding down to nothing so he can fill it with himself. Okay? So what? So that's the, the those verses describe, and there's a process. Isaiah, while we're in Isaiah, let's just look at 64. 64, beginning in verse six. But we are all as an unclean thing, and our righteousness is, are as filthy rags. He's talking about he's talking about rags that the leper might use to wipe his sores. The the contaminated. You wouldn't want to even touch the rag. And and we all do fate as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. How many times have you said, I'm gonna do it? And whew, the devil breathes or the world pulls and suddenly we're gone. 
And next week we wake up and I didn't do it. I didn't do what I said I was going to do. I didn't give him my heart. There's none that calleth on thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us. Thou hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, and we are the clay, and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. None of us can accomplish anything in ourselves. It's all the work of God or it's nothing. So that brings me down to my last scripture over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 5, 4 and 5. And I think I got some in 6. I'm looking at one point. Here's my point. So God wants us to be crackpots. That's my point. And I'm going to show it to you. Look here. Look here. I want you I want you to look at the things that God has given every Christian. Verse 1, we have this ministry. Verse 2, or verse 1, we have received mercy. Verse 7, we have this treasure. Verse 13, we having the same spirit of faith. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Let's see, we have a building of God not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus Christ has given us unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. And He hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That, if I count it right, that's seven things that we have as Christians. And look here, verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. If you back up, verse 3 and 4 says, well, let me just read them. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. What, what difference between us and the world out there? I talked about them a while ago. We got the same makeup they got, except for one thing. We received Christ. Amen. That didn't mean, that does not mean that we did anything. He's the one who came in, He's the one who empowers. We, re, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I don't want to give you ten cents for a preacher who, who preaches personality 
or news broadcasts. I don't need to know more about those things. What I need to know more about is this book right here. I mean, I need to see the face of Jesus more. I heard the Spurgeon preached to 6,000 people every Sunday. The crowds got so big that he they had the he asked the members to stay home on Sunday night and they gave tickets so people could come and hear Spurgeon preach. And I heard about the couple who gave their ticket to their neighbor and said, Go hear our preacher preach. And so that Sunday night they stood outside and waited for the couple to come out who had the ticket had their ticket for the Sunday night service. And when they got out, they said, what did you think of your of our preacher? And one of the couples said, well, we didn't really get acquainted with your preacher, preacher but we sure did love the, the Jesus who he preached about. He gave them a picture of Christ. And that's what that verse says. We come to our Bible to get a knowledge of the glory of Christ, of the uh, in the face of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful when you can get humble enough, broken enough to just get up close to Him, and that that radiance. I was talking with uh, Daniel a while ago. He's studying through the Sermon on the Mount. Those 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 uh, beatitudes. Begins with hating yourself and emptying yourself and being broken about your sins, and then after a while he begins to fill you up. And and Daniel's going to preach on salt tonight to the kids, but there's no use talking about salt till you get through those beatitudes. That's what that's what Jesus did. He said, "You got to hate yourself." You gotta hate your sin. You gotta be broken over your sin. When you get to that place, then you can you can know the fullness of the Lord. You can know the treasures of Jesus. You can have the power of God, and you're able then to become a salt shaker and a light bearer in a dark world. Otherwise, they'll beat you down and blow your light out. And laugh about it. Right? So he says, verse 7, we have this treasure. The treasure is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Jeremiah chapter 18, he said, we went, I went down to the potter's house and he made a vessel. I don't have time to preach this, but I want to just give you a note on it. The vessel is not made by what it's going to look like. That clay vessel on the wheel has to be made from the inside out. The very first thing that happens on the, when the when the vessel's thrown on the wheel and that wheel begins to spin, 
the potter has to put his hand down in the vessel and give it stature and capacity. And he finds every blemish and every little pebble. I, I remember I've told you about going to the dime store and buying clay and taking home. We didn't have concrete porches. We had old wooden porch. Didn't have a good concrete place to roll my clay. And you roll it out on that old wooden porch and it's full of pebbles. You can't do much with it. So the first thing you got to do is clean up your clay. He said, as Jeremiah said, the vessel that was in the hand of the potter was flawed. He didn't throw the clay away. That songwriter knew that. What he did is he cleaned up the clay and made another vessel as it seemed good to the... See, the mind of the potter controls the making of the vessel. It's not a pattern on the wall that says, here's, here's what a Christian looks like. It's in the mind of the potter. And as the clay gives and shapes, as the pebbles are cast out, that vessel, that, that clay becomes a vessel. It may not have any shape, but he, can, he knows how to take a rasp and file and, and scrape you and get you to looking sharp. He might even have to put you in the oven and cook you a little while. But on the, out, sooner or later, there will be a radiance of Christ that is able to shine through in every one of our lives. That's the, break, that's the principle of the breaking process in the children of God. Getting junk out of us so He can put stuff in us that will bring honor and glory to the name of the Lord. Crackpots. We got some around here. Yeah, I'll admit, I'll admit, I got a cracker too with me. Well, thank you for being here tonight. Now tomorrow, I mean next week, we're going to go a little further. I want to show you the pattern of brokenness in the Bible. Bruce, would you dismiss us, please? Father, we've come to you tonight, and uh, we've had time to share our needs and prayer requests and burdens in our hearts to each other as a body of Christ, that we are a church, as we together as one body feel and, and consider everyone, and even those that are not with us because of illness, remember the Stowe's, the Gaudet, others, some that might be traveling right now. We pray that you bless them when we miss them from being here with us. We do we pray, Father, that you would bless the message that you gave us. We thank you for the Wayne. We thank you for the lesson on brokenness and how that is such an important thing. And uh, we, as uh, in our culture, we are so self-sufficient. We want to do things on our own. And when it comes to you, we cannot be self-sufficient. We have to be totally dependent upon you, Father. We have to allow you to break us and rebuild us and make us what you want us to be, not what we want to be. And I pray that that lesson might be 
engraved in our hearts tonight. May we take it with us the rest of this week. May we meditate upon it. Use it as we react to our relationships we have with others. And then also, Father, and the plans that we have for the ministry of this church, we ask that you bless it. Be with those who are ministering far off, even today. Bless the missionaries on the field. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.